Welcome to the panel. I'm your host, Tim Watkin. I'm filling in for Wallace Chapman today on the show. Um, thanks for being with us. Today, we have the big story of the government's reset of the controversial Three Waters reforms. Does the split into 10 entities solve the issues that so many have had? We speak to Professor Bronwyn Hayward of the University of Canterbury just after four o'clock. A report also from Westpac has revealed maybe tens of thousands of Kiwis living on the margins, and they struggle to establish bank accounts. What impacts is that that having? Uh, Bank accounts just a basic human right these days. Then, after 4.30, we look at a study by the World Health Organization that's revealed roughly one in six people worldwide living with infertility. Dr Andrew Murray gives us his reaction and tells us what the situation is like here in New Zealand. We'll also look at Christopher Luxon's comments, all but, all but ruling out a partnership with Te Maori or the Greens. And finally, something we need your help on. I really want you to jump on the text uh, for this one, please. A man in Auckland shocked staff recently at a local subway by ordering a footlong sub. Yeah, so much every day, right? But this one was with every meat, with every cheese... And none of the salad. <laughs> Regarded as the biggest sandwich in New Zealand. I want to hear today, please, what is your wildest and weirdest sandwich? The one you've made at home, the one you've tried somewhere in some far-flung place, the wildest, weirdest, biggest sandwich that you've ever tried. Text us, please, 2101. Today on the panel, uh, it's a delight to be joined by Heather Roy, professional director, principal of boutique business consultancy Talk Point. Uh, talk T-O-R-Q-U-E, just in case you're missing the pun there on air radio. <laughs> She's, of course, a former minister and deputy leader of ACT. G'day, Heather. Kia How are you, Tim? I'm very well, my friend. Um, yes. And Alan Blackman is here in Auckland. Heather is in Wellington. Alan Blackman is here in Auckland. He is a professor of chemistry at Auckland University of Technology. Good afternoon. Hey, Tim. Nice to have you both on. Um, a pleasure to um, get into uh, the, all the news of the day with you. But um, first up, we're going to talk about NATO, because last year when Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern became the first New Zealander to have been invited to speak at the NATO Leader Summit, it was thought maybe this was just a one-off, but, and NATO at the time said, New Zealand would not be invited to join as it's not a European country. Although, as we know, Australia has been able to join the European Eurovision Song Contest, so who knows where the borders are these days. Anyway, fast forward to last week, and our own Foreign Minister, Nanaya Mahuta, was among those in attendance at the annual NATO Foreign Ministers' Meeting in Brussels. Adding to that, the head of NATO's policy planning unit in the Secretary General's office has been in New Zealand this week. So, is something happening there? Is this the beginning of a formal partnership and if so, what could New Zealand gain or lose with, from an alliance with NATO? We're going to get some context with Professor of International Law at Waikato University, Alexander Gillespie. G'day, Al. G'day, Tim. Thank you for coming on today. Um, this feels like there's something to be seen here. Historically, what has New Zealand's relationship with NATO been like? Well, we started off our relationship in 2001 with Afghanistan. We became a formal partner in 2012, and that's where we are now. Other countries like Australia are deemed to be significant partners. We may be going for some kind of upgrade. That would mean more contributions to NATO-led missions. Is is the phrase significant partners like an actual working title? Um, It's the term that we recognise the Australian relationship. But to to get back to one of your earlier points, we can never become a member of NATO. No. That's because it's for the North Atlantic. We can can only ever be associated with them. 
But, but at the same time, there's a parallel process going on right now with the debate about AUKUS, where there's a lot of other discussions going on in the background. Sure. No, and excuse my flippancy around the Eurovision Song Contest. I should <laughs> should not be nearly so um, flippant about these serious issues. But, um, Al, it's, it's interesting, though. Even if we're looking, uh, take your point, we can only ever be an associate. But uh, Jacinda Ardern got invited last year. Chris Hipkins is invited this year. Is, is this a surprise that we are getting pulled this way? Well, it, it's not just us. It's also Australia and South Korea have also got the same invitation. Mm. And this is an invitation you can't really decline. The problem is if you accept it, it's going to be unwelcomed by other members in the Indo-Pacific region. This is the AP4 you're talking about, right? Yeah. So this is and Australia, South Korea, us and... Japan. 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 Yeah. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, it's it's. You make it sound like the Godfather. It's an invitation we can't refuse. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if, you, if, if, if you if you don't turn up, it will be noticed, and if you do turn up, it will be noticed. Yeah. And so, it, it's going to be difficult. And the, the location's also important because it's in Lithuania, and it's very close to where the war is, is in Europe right now as well. So it'll be very, it'll be omnipresent. What you may see is extra pledges from New Zealand towards the war effort in the Ukraine as well. So uh, do you think Chris Hipkins should go or has to go? I think he should go. But right now, it's the, the other negotiations which will have longer-term ramifications with what we do with the AUKUS agreement and whether we enter the pillar two of that. But we can't go for the nuclear option, but there's a whole new range of other technology which New Zealand may be interested in joining. All of all of this, though, Al, is is in the context of what we have long said as our independent foreign policy, right? That we have. I've interviewed so many foreign ministers and military leaders and so forth over the years who will dance around this. That we don't have to choose between China and the West. We don't have to take sides. But something like this, as you're indicating, would make us look as if we are taking sides and has serious risks in our relationship with China, right? We have risk either way, and being independent works well when the international order is being adhered to, when the Security Council works, when there's international arms control agreements. But we're at a point now where you've got effectively a once-in-a-generation choice of which way the country should go in the future. You think it's time that that choice is actually there now, we have to make a choice? I don't think we can stay where we are forever. There's Mm -hmm. an arms race which is going on, there's a lot of breaking of international agreements, there is always independence that we must maintain our nuclear-free policy. But we have to work out whether you want to spend more on the military, and if you do, what you will buy, and then how you will align that with our friends and allies. Heather, this is something you've thought long and hard about for years, because we've talked about this many years ago. Um, It is. Where do you see this falling? Well, I think what New Zealand suffers from, actually, is that we have no grand strategy. And we've got some national security guidelines which come out of DPMC but nothing nothing more substantive than that and I think that, that we're suffering now uh, by not having a grand strategy. If we did and had some principles around uh, what where we see ourselves in the world, it would actually help us resolve some of these questions like um, the NATO relationship. Um, at the moment we only have one functioning mutual defence treaty, that's the Australian-New Zealand bilateral relationship within ANZUS. Um, and, but if we did have a grand strategy, it would undoubtedly involve partnerships, alliances, security guarantees. And, and even countries like the USA is too small to go it alone in, in the world as it's, it's structured now. Mm-hmm. Um, we've tried in the past to have some Pacific-type arrangements, um, but they've failed. ANZUC and CETO um, spring to mind. 
And I did some work uh, when I was ex-National Security uh, spokesperson uh, before I became Associate Defence Minister, uh, put together a national security and international relations policy. And I was advocating then and still do for an organisation called PATO, Pacific Area Treaty Organisation, because I think that there's huge benefit in actually being part of our region and making decisions that that, uh, are important to us, not having to make decisions about NATO um, relationships and what that should look like. Undoubtedly, we're we could be very useful to NATO because they, with China in mind, um, want to have lots of options and bases in this part of the world. But um, we, we're too little to defend aggression or deter attack through soft power alone, and we, you know, we need to have better options than we currently have. Mm. Al, how do you feel about this? You know, do we lose a certain amount of neutrality in this kind of conversation? Well, I've just come back to one point. Heather is correct that we only have one effective defence working relationship, and that's with Australia, and mm. that's from 1944. And so if Australia gets into a fight, we are probably obliged to go and help defend Australia, which yeah. I think is quite justifiable. Yeah. The problem mm. is if Australia gets into a fight with America, and America gets into a fight over Taiwan, then you can see a very long piece of string coming towards us in the South Pacific. Yeah, mm. exactly. Alan? <laughs> well, anything I say after... Or you two experts, um, I'm going to sound uh, a bit silly really, but um, okay, so how's this for a stupid idea then? Why don't we become the Switzerland of the South Pacific? Why don't we become formally neutral and um, we host all of the peace conferences and everything in little old New Zealand? Um, it'd make a change from everyone who's sick and tired of Geneva or whatever. I think I think it's a great idea. Uh, <laughs> Professor Gillespie, do you want to quickly reply to that? <laughs> I think that there is an argument that we become fully independent, that you do away with the military, that you become a pacifist country. Like Costa Rica. The problem is is if you look at our history, if you look at our values, and that sometimes you realise that there's aggression out there, you do need to fight. And if Mm. you need to fight, you need to be part of a collective force. Mm. That's certainly something we're conscious of at the moment. All Mm. right. Um, Al Gillespie, thank you very much from Waikato University. Appreciate your time on that today. It's really useful. I'm sure there'll be many more discussions to be had on that one. But let's move to what um, our panellists have been thinking about now before the four o'clock news. Um, uh, Alan, I'm looking at you, so you can go first. Okay, so um, I've been thinking about um, the time when I used to live in the States. I lived there for um, two and a half years, way back in the 90s, and um, how, you know, it was a place I didn't really want to go, but um, ended up going there and had the great time and wonderful people and, you know, just, just real salt of the earth folk. Didn't see a gun in my entire time there, um, and yet we have these horrendous stories coming through in the media pretty much every damn day now every of, day. of of another on average, mass shooting at least one in the US. And so there was a story in the Guardian yesterday which really sort of shocked me. And uh, this is all to do with the recent shooting in Louisville, Kentucky, um, where five bank employees were murdered, and um, the shooter was also killed. And they posed the question, what happens to the gun that the shooter actually used? And that's something I've got to say I've never thought about. And believe it or not, under Kentucky law, the police have to get that gun back. So that gun is given to the police and get this, it goes to a police auction. So Back in circulation. Absolute, utter, utter madness. And... I mean, you know, all those folk I met in the States and everything, I mean, you know, intelligent people, but for God's sake, who could make laws like this? This just seems to me to be so stupid as to be 
you know, just 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 almost unbelievable. Now, I, we have police auctions in New Zealand, but I had a quick skim through them just before I came on yeah. here, and and yeah, there's there's lots of um, electrical drills and things like that, but <laughs> and bikes. nothing like nothing, yes, yes, bikes, scooters, that sort of thing. But yeah. oh, Heather, for goodness' he- sake, Heather, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's frightening, really, isn't it? And just uh, imagine. Um, Tracking the movement of that that weapon. Um, yeah. it, it does I imagine if it was used really, multiple it? times and multiple yeah. fatalities, wouldn't yeah. that be? Yeah. Yeah. My son spent some time. Uh, one of my sons spent some time travelling through the south of the US, and he said he felt really uncomfortable in the south, where guns were very prevalent. And you did see them. You did see them with people just routinely. Mm. Um, he he didn't like that at all. Mm. Yep. Mm. There's, there's more and more law changes um, happening. Yeah. Um, Heather, you've been thinking about Anzac Day. Yeah, in the lead up, to, lead up to Anzac Day, I've been thinking about who we should be remembering. Um, we do tend to get a bit stuck on World War One and World War Two, even though that's where the origins of Anzac came from, uh, of course. But uh, I have been thinking that New Zealand's contemporary veterans also d- deserve to be remembered, and Anzac Day is a great day to do that. Um, there are approximately 30,000 veterans who have served in conflicts and peacekeeping missions since World War Two. Um, and their contribution to peace around the globe is equally worthy. And one way of remembering our contemporary veterans is um, embodied in a project being run by the New Zealand Remembrance Army, um, an organisation that I volunteer with. Um, They're asking all councils around the country to add the names of more recent conflicts or peacekeeping missions to their war memorials. Um, and a really good example of where they've had some success just very recently is uh, Porirua City Council, uh, where they've convinced um, the council to add Afghanistan and the name of Leon Smith, who was killed in Afghanistan, mm, that name yeah. will be familiar to people, to the Porirua Peace Memorial Gates. Mm. Are they getting um, a good response some, widely, or some, are they getting some pushback? Yeah, no, they're getting quite a lot of pushback in some areas, but very good response in others. So uh, Levin and Hawara have also um, included Afghanistan on their war memorial. Um, in Nelson, there are three new battlements on their war memorial for Afghanistan, Timor, and for peacekeeping, which includes a whole range of missions mm, yes, that, um, yes. that our soldiers Soldiers, sailors, and airmen and women have participated in. So, wouldn't it be great if they, that appeared everywhere? Um, when I left Parliament, I asked in my valedictory speech if the battlements that line the debating chamber could be updated, and mm. Afghanistan, Timor, and peacekeeping now sit on battlements there, so that the, those people oh, are, are remembered for their contribution, which I think is great. And, and is the reluctance to add these because they're not seen as You've got about 20 seconds, but it's not seen as <laughs> such virtuous wars, or what's the thinking? Uh, I think there's a lot of different reasons, but people come from those regions, and I think that they deserve to have their their um, their contribution recognised. Yeah, right. mm. yeah. You agree, Alan? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yep. Heather, Roy and Alan Blackman are on the panel today. We'll be back after the 4 o'clock news. And in the meantime, while you're listening to the news, send us a text about those sandwiches you've eaten. The biggest, the fattest, the weirdest, the wildest sandwiches... We want to hear all about them on 2101.